This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us across from me. We've got the OG Eric Browning in the house, but then we got a couple of guys making their sophomore appearances on the forging table. So we've got Derek Edwards and Robert Lewis, fellas. What's up? How are you? Good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Okay. Good to be back. Didn't think it was going to happen. Appreciate the invite back. Well, it, you know, I didn't want it to happen, but here it is. It's, it's right here in front of us. But, you know, last time we set a couple of records with you guys on, on the first time that we were on here. So the only person to have a more sultry voice on this podcast is Robert Lewis over here. So Fantastic. the brown belt himself. Oh, so very good. Nice. No pressure. Nice. Don't make it deeper than it has to be. Like, don't make it awkward. And then also a record for the least amount of words used in an episode. You have the top four spots, Derek. I'm sure the I do. least amount of words used. You own one, two, three and four. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Got to get them all. You you have the entire podium and the person that wishes they were on it. You've got the entire thing right there from the beginning. That's who I am. So I, what's funny about this is I couldn't think of a good example. So this could absolutely crash and burn. No pun intended. He is a pilot, ladies and gentlemen. But the uh, sophomore slump, since this is y'all's second appearance, have y'all heard of the sophomore slump? No, no okay. not at all. It's we're typi- for a rise. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's typically in the context of like, Okay, so you're a musical group and your first album is a banger and then your second album is just trash because it's like, crap, we gave all our effort to the first one and then we just had to put another one out there. Or maybe the first movie in a two-part whatever like was just absolute fire, but then the second one was trash. And literally as I was talking through this, I'm like, surely I'm going to come up with an example. Definitely didn't happen. So somebody (laughs) save me. What is a good example of a sophomore slump so that we can have something to compare y'all's performances to on this? Oh gosh. Goodness. Give Uh, it to me. I mean, Jar Jar Binks literally uh, has its own filter on VidAngel because it was so, his character was so terrible. Is that Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Wars. Sorry, guys. But he was only in one movie. Right? <laughs> I don't really know. I don't really know. Who? Wait, so he was in the second film of something? Yeah, I can't even remember. I, it's like I literally put his shit to the recesses of my brain. Yeah. Okay. But it's, it wasn't a sophomore deal. Was like He was only in one movie, and I think they killed him off. That, right? Maybe he came back. No, no, no he was there. He was there. Okay, all right. Yeah, all the way through. Okay, so well, like, what's the sequel that should have never happened? There's got to be a good one. There's got to be an obvious one that the, literally people are screaming at us in their cars. We're at the gym right now. Oh my god! I mean, I think Back to the Future should have just been Back to the Future, and there were like four or five of them, and I didn't think they got much better. Yeah, Mask, maybe Mask Two, Jim Carrey. Mask Two didn't even know that was a thing. Okay, yeah, Yeah. that was bad. Um, Now I've heard that they are making a sequel to Gladiator. Now, heard that too. I take, I'm almost offended at even the thought because to me, even though I know all the mistakes of that movie, that's a perfect movie to me. That's like the one that I like. I hold that above every other movie and like Ridley Scott. I'm not sure he's released another good movie since then. And that was like 20 something years ago. So that one shouldn't happen, but any others before we mercilessly or mercifully get off of this subject of the sophomore slump. I think we're going to break the sophomore slump is the main thing I want to leave with. I certainly hope so. Now the way that we're not going to break that is if you continue not talking directly into the mic, like last time, I know because if you're all around it, see if my head's over here and around there, you see how it doesn't sound good. Okay. That's okay. I'm not going to give you as much crap as we give the horn, but the horn is not here to, uh, to defend himself. So that's how we're going to make it go. Um, here's the thing with Matthew 23. I want to kind of put something in the, the listeners heads, but also in in you guys' heads. Well, we'll, we'll put it this way. When y'all were growing up, because I think all of us have given our background of, you know, kind of where we were in terms of church or in terms of, you know, Christianity and all that. 
What were your thoughts growing up about Jesus, his personality, how he interacted with people? Like just in general, what did you grow up thinking about this Jesus guy described in the gospels? It was a lot of compassion, a lot of picking up kids. You know, it was the quintessential what you see in Sunday school of just the soft side of Jesus that's sitting down and, you know, consoling the woman at the well. It would probably, that would be the majority of how I saw Jesus. You know, God was very much fire and brimstone. That was the, that was the image that was painted, but Jesus was always the softer side. Right. Yeah. I'm totally with you. Uh, That's exactly right. I was sitting there going, what, what did I think about him? But I, I remember those paintings of him with, you know, and I know Kyle said, you know, flowy hair and stuff and the kids and all that stuff. And I did, I totally thought God was the one holding on to the, the electric, you know, the lightning rod or whatever is just going to strike me down. So, you know, what, what, what was the fact that the amount of blush that they applied to Jesus in every picture in Sunday school, I just didn't, the makeup that they applied was always just stellar across the board. It was the same. Yeah. I mean, he literally, I always say he looked like a Danish model. Like there if you, you like true, gave yeah. him like, what is that? Rouge. If you rouged mm-hmm. his, his cheeks, that's kind of how it would go. Do, what about, do, what about we, you, Derek? Do we have, do we have, some, is, but. do you want some rouge? Are we going to rouge? <laughs> no. it's like, I would say. Is there actually a Danish model that they uh, modeled Jesus after? I bet you I can find yeah, one. I, I bet there is. Right. Because I don't think Danish people look super Middle Eastern, but you know, I haven't been around a ton of them, but Derek, yeah, what, the what'd you think? Yeah. Same. Typical Sunday school, yeah. soft, not Matthew 23. Well, okay, yeah. yeah, and there's our segue yeah. because that's when you think about how you think about Jesus growing up. Because I was the same, having not grown up in church, I saw the depictions of him in artwork, in you know, in uh, TV specials and stuff like that. And so it was always kind of that very compassionate guy who ended up dying in the end. And it never really made sense to me, like, wait, so he died in someone else's place, but don't firefighters do that sometimes? And don't guys like in the military die so that people <laughs> in their country don't have to die? Like, it didn't really make sense to me as a kid until, you know, I absolutely started to understand the gospel for myself. So we're going to dig right into Matthew 23 here. So we're going to re- read verses 1 through 12. Robert, if you will hit 1 through 12 for us, please. Got it. And Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not called to be rabbi, for you have one teacher. And you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructors, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We'll certainly get back to verse 12, but I mean, I guess you could say the entirety of verses 1 through 12 is about humility, and it's about being humble. And an interesting thing about that is, you know, as we talked about um, closing out 2023, we came into 2024 with a ton of momentum. And so it would have been real easy to start getting a little cocky and start thinking like, hey, we did this. You know, it, it was, you know, it was my funny, fancy words that I use on this particular interview, or there was this perfect Instagram post that hit the algorithm just right in the feels and it just worked out well. But that's been the constant refrain this year for me is just humility, humility. I was walking through the church lobby this morning and a couple of guys introduced themselves in my church, in my town as fans of the show. And it's like, oh, you know, you could really be tempted to just start walking around the church like, hey, I'm somebody. 
right? I'm, I'm the guy that does the thing. You know, you own these different karate studios uh, throughout the years and now you own a jujitsu academy. So, you know, a lot of people that train with you or that their parents know that they train with you or their yeah. kids or something like that. And so you can start to think of yourself as a little bit self-important. And so that was one thing that just stood out to me with these first 12 verses is just a reminder that Jesus is rebuking these turds and being like, just, and it's all about humility. Yeah. I was just, you know, many of us have titles, right? I mean, I've got MPT after my name and then OCS and CCI and that all sounds really, really cool uh, to have those designations. But, um, and I don't know that there's anything wrong with that, but it, it looks like to me, like when I read these verses, it's, it's the love of being called by those. Uh, the the love of uh, of the title um, and people looking at you as someone that's important or more important than you actually are, and, and you see that a lot, right? I mean, you see how many people do we know of that you know they're they're known by as when they introduce themselves as as, as a doctor or whatever that is, and there's nothing necessarily wrong about it, but whenever they take on that identity and that's their worth in a conversation, that's their worth in the circle that they have, they feel like their value is placed upon what they've earned in the in the past, and. I think it's just incredible for any time we're reading the scripture, you know, Kyle, where you're coming from is you immediately apply it over to yourself. You know, you immediately are looking back through the lens of like, how, what is God trying to speak to me in this? And how can I be anchored and be humble in the midst of reading this in the moment? Well, and one of the best things that you could do is I love the example of actually what Derek does is Derek doesn't tell anyone he's a pilot. He just literally wears aviators all the time. And so people don't even, <laughs> don't even ask, like he wouldn't wear them today for whatever reason, but that keeps you humble, right? You yeah. just don't have to talk about I yourself. I shave the mustache at least. Right. That was, <laughs> it was very Top Gun there for a little bit. Like you, you had that mustache going for a while. Uh, one thing uh, with that first section of verses as well is uh, verses three and four, I literally wrote, don't be this person. So verse three and four, it's like, you know, they, they basically preach, but don't practice. They put these, these heavy burdens on other people. And I guess the way I thought of it is it's the people that are like, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a dad that, you know, has maybe your body's a little bit broken down, maybe you've had some sort of like spine or hip ailment or something like that. And you used to be able to like squat a whole lot, but now you can't squat that amount. And you're trying to like describe perfect squat form to your, you know, 16 year old son. I promise I'm not describing you, Robert. You really are. Like, this right is, now. This is all, like everything as I was saying it, I was like, this is, you know, kind of like Robert, but it's like, you know, in that moment, it would be appropriate to say, son, do as I say, not as I do. Like, but most dads aren't in that place. Right. And in Matthew 24, we're going to talk a little bit about men being prepared or not for, for the fight that's forthcoming. But that was one thing I just thought about. I was like, it, I just kept thinking about the overbearing father that would put yeah. all this pressure on their kid to do things that they themselves never did yep. and couldn't do. Yeah. yeah. Like, and how many dads are living vicariously through their children? You know, they're driving yeah. and pushing them to something that they themselves have never accomplished. Right. And they, I think they can do it under the guise of wanting their kids to succeed, but how many of them are just looking for the accolades and the riding off of the accolades and the achievements of their, of their children? Yeah. There's, I, there's not very many instances in the New Testament, but uh, that I can, that I can recall, but I do remember Paul saying, um, follow me as I follow Christ. And I remember going, yeah. man, how, what, such a simple verse, but a, what, like to live up to that. Yeah. Like, so that's, that's a big deal. I, my additional thought on that was, um, it seems in stark contrast to what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, it said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And here we see the exact opposite of these teachers and, and, and lawgivers. Uh, putting bar- burdens on people. Well, another thing to that point is I remember uh, Pastor Joby first shout out of the, the forging table and it's hopefully not an I'm sorry, Joby, but the whenever Satan is described in Ezekiel, 
he's described as being this worship leader and the way that Joby describes it is at some point Satan Lucifer decided he didn't want to be looked to and wanted to be looked or he didn't want to be looked through he wanted to be looked to and so we can see the same thing here is like a lot of people they don't want to reflect off of themselves to Christ and so that's one thing that as I am reading the scripture I'm trying to understand where where is this in the story of the gospel like where is this you know random old testament passage how does this get us to you know Jesus Christ but also it's like how can I better reflect what's being said here so people don't look to me but look through me or you know their gaze bounces off of me into back to the father and so that's just you know kind of something that I try to do for myself as we work through scripture um Derek if you wouldn't mind hitting verses 13 through 15 and yes in most bibles verse 14 is missing we don't have all the time to get into that it's just a you know a scribal thing that people can quibble about but 13 through 15 please all right but what do you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you shut the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he comes to when he comes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So this is when we get into the seven woes. These are uh, the first two woes, and I forget which uh, commentary I was looking at, but they've kind of named the woes. So in this section here, we have the first woe, which is you know shut the door, and the second woe, which is entrapped converts. But I just got to say. The word brutal came to mind as I was reading verse 13, where it said, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Yeah. Like for, for a pious, uh, religious elite, I can't imagine a more forceful, aggressive thing to say to them to where it's like, look, you're not shepherding anybody through the door. You are slamming the door in their faces. And I'm reading something into the scripture that's not here. So guys, bear with me. It's almost like, hey, you're doing this and you like it you enjoy the fact that people can't carry the yoke that you purport to carry. So yeah. that, that was a brutal, brutal scripture yeah. for me to read. And for every bit of 23 to be red letter, you know, I mean, every bit of this thing. from the mm. beginning to the end is such a powerful depiction of the way in which Christ communicated. I mean, obviously to the Pharisees ripping them apart, um, but there was just so much wisdom that was in this and he did not mm. mince his words. Yeah. I mean, only God is able to shut people out of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, I, I noted there, it's like these guys were, were more interested in making the rules um, than bestowing grace. Um, they, they looked at tradition as trumping truth. And um, yeah, it was. It's a, it's a brutal statement. I don't know that it gets any, any better as we go, but my, my goodness. Yeah. Um, Jesus is letting them have it. Well, and then you see in verse, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I don't remember what commentary I saw it on, but uh, obviously... Jesus is the way he's the door. And, uh, I was saying the Pharisees were surrounded and knew the law. That's all they focused on. They had no affection for Christ who is actually the door. So they're shutting the door on. I mean, how do I say that? Shutting the door on the door. But it's like, it's like, they're not even giving you access to even get a chance to go through the door that matters. Yeah. It's like they're slamming a, a separate door in front of them entirely. And then at the end of there where he's talking about calling them, you know, they're going to make them twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Again, a brutal way to, to talk to these people who no one talks to these people this way. Yeah. Like, it's just not something that was done in this culture. And you're stoned but, if you did. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's the thing is he's basically saying, look, you're causing these people to be a, a follower of Pharisaism and not Jesus. Like, you're wanting them to follow you and look to you and see how cool you are. 
And that's, you know, we could get into a, you know, I don't know if we really have time to dig into this, but when you see these people that love the fact that there's a cult of personality at their church, and so they've created this brand around them or around their style of worship music or around their books that they sell or around their this or their, their YouTube channel or their whatever. And it's like these people love the fact that the people are looking to them. And it's just like, gosh, it's just dripping in um, just this arrogance about their, I guess, their place in the order of how people come to salvation. And again, I don't really care if you wear, you know, fancy sneakers or a nice suit or any of that type of stuff or live in a nice house. It's like, man, these people, it seems like they want everyone to look at them. But in this moment, Jesus is like, all right, we're going to look at you. And by the way, I'm going to tell you what you actually are. Yeah. Just in the most aggressive way possible. Yeah. And on a side note, you know, I see it says for you travel across the sea and land and make a single proselyte uh, or proselyte. The, um, I just immediately thought like, man, the Mormon church is so good at test, you know, testifying uh, of their, of their beliefs. Right. And I mean, they, they got it down. Uh, and I just sat there and I was like, and I know this is all said in a negative context, but I, it just had me kind of pause for a second. I was like, well, I, am I committed at, at any level close to what a Mormon would be uh, in spreading the gospel, you know, yeah. to, to the world around me? So, I mean, even this just sounds funny, but just the dedication to wear what they wear and ride around on bikes, like, and not care <laughs> if anybody thinks yeah. that that's weird. It's true. Like that they see that as like, Hey, this is par for the course. Like I got to get my own planet someday. And so this is the way I'm going to be able to do that. And so like, that is an interesting thing. Whereas us as American Christians, we're like, wait, this is going to make me mildly uncomfortable. Hmm. I'm gonna have to pray about that. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's just, I mean, when, and then you hear these stories of these people that are going literally to the edges of the earth to take the gospel or a translation of the gospel of somebody. I think it's one of the things about uh, the culture that they've created is so singular focused that despite knowing that they're going to get uh, ridiculed for what they wear or how they ride or whatever they do or the two years that they spend after they get out of high school, you know, I mean, it, they've created such a, um, a unified approach towards and preparing for their kids to be able to go out and launch, knowing that that oppression is going to happen. And then it's a, it's a stark look at like, as the culture within the Christian church, how we are so divided in so many ways where we're not coming along and we're not saying the same thing. There isn't one voice that's mentoring and discipling our kids to know how to be able to evangelize, how to mature the saved, um, how to glorify God in everything that you do, knowing that there's going to be oppression that comes when you stand for what is right. And so, yeah, I think they are so effective just because they have that one voice that really does a great job of, in some way, just brainwashing in some well, ways their, their view towards what is right. One other word other than brainwashes, yeah, catechize yeah, right, or disciple. Yeah. And so, again, I want to really hit this in, in 24, in Matthew 24, but it's like so many men are ill-prepared mm. to even take care of their own stuff. Right. You know, here recently, Doug Wilson was on the show talking about his book, Future Men. And it's like part of the reason why men aren't raising young men to be men is because they aren't men themselves. And it's like they're, they're not prepared. So there's not even a, like an attitude in their house of pointing in a particular direction where it could coalesce in some sort of a goal that's set forth by some higher, you know, entity. Right. So your, your house isn't even set up in a way that allows for you to focus on God because you're so navel gazing as you're worried about your job and worried about all this other stuff. But, you know, we could we could go even further with that. Or did you have one? I do one more yeah, thing on that. Yeah. I, it reminded me of and I've probably shared this before, but my, my I remember my grandfather and grandmother came to visit us when we lived in North Carolina and um, on the way from Texas to North Carolina, they stopped 
at uh, a couple different places, but one of the places that um, they had planned on stopping at was Dolly World. And so, uh, <laughs> yep. And, awesome. uh, and, and so uh, when they, when they got there, they were all like, oh, how's y'all's trip and whatever. And they, uh, my grandfather was so proud. He's like, and we, we stopped at Dolly world and, uh, or actually he didn't say that. He said, we went to Dolly world. As soon as he said that, my grandmother just elbowed him and was like, no, we didn't. We literally went to the parking lot, took a picture and then left. <laughs> that, like, that's yeah. not going to Dolly world. Uh, and my, my point is, is that as believers, um, it, it may be one thing to help your son or daughter towards conversion, but that like literally if that's where you leave it. Like you've missed the boat and the whole idea of discipleship, you know, um, we need to be being that Paul that says, follow me as I follow Christ <clears throat> and in leading the way and being a pace setter and not just thinking that, okay, I've got them safe. They're, they're going to heaven now, uh, but not helping them uh, be fruitful in life. You know, Man, and honestly, just to do a, a, I don't know, a plug in some way, you've done such a great job in the way in which you've put together your ministry and your, uh, the way in which you've, you know, created this strong structure through Santa stone on being able to disciple your children and whatnot, that, um, it, it would just, this is such a perfect opportunity to be able to kind of talk a little bit. Can you kind of go into just like a one minute recap? Is that all right? Let's get it. Before you forget, say say the website so people can check more yeah, of this out later. Maybe and then that's give better. Us, I know we've got to get us down track. No, no, but, but, but and it, then give us the elevator pitch so people know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, sandestone.us uh, uh, with the two instead of the T-O. Uh, I mean, we we help fathers uh, raise future men. I mean, that that's as simply as, uh, as you can put it. <clears throat> and so the idea is that we don't want there to be any ex- any uh, question mark as to how, what a man is and how a, how a boy becomes a man. And so we set out um, to get, we get guys in the wilderness where there's no distractions and we, we promote, promote opportunities for dads to bond in the wilderness and doing, doing things that are manly. Uh, but then we have, uh, we set the stage also for ceremony and rites of passage so that as a boy is getting older, <clears throat> father can communicate expectations of this is where we were. You're crossing over a threshold. You're never coming back. You're going, moving forward. And this is what it looks like. And this is what's expected of you. Uh, and so when, when they become a man, you know, 18, 19, whenever, whenever that's that, that, uh, that period is designated, they, they should be able to walk into that going, this is, this is who I am in Christ. This is who, how Christ is my archetypal, you know, um, head of how, how I should live. And I've had someone walk me to this point so that I can continue to walk forward and do the same for my kids. Yeah. When yeah, I think it's fantastic. important to point out, I get asked a lot about, hey, Kyle, what about my son? Or, hey, I'm 16. Like, what, what do you have to say to me? And it's like, I'm very unapologetically only appealing to men. Like, so when women are like, why don't you talk about this? I was like, well, because that's a woman's issue. And this is a man's podcast. It's there in the title. Like, you know, just kind of is what it is. You serve the audience that you serve. If you try to serve everybody, you end up serving no one. Mm-hmm. And so, again, sand2stone.us. That's a two instead of T-O, sand2stone.us. So you can check out some of that content there. Um, one Real quick before I forget, also... A lot of guys this year are really trying to take their Bible study a little bit deeper. Maybe you've created your own forging table or something like that. Well, we are partnered with Logos Bible Software. So there is not a stronger, more powerful Bible software on the planet than Logos. And so there is a link in our show notes. So if you don't even know what that is, go to that link and kind of get an idea. But literally as deep as you want to go into scripture in whatever language, whatever translation, whatever, uh, you know, different 
reference points and different things, you can get that and you you can literally spend the rest of your year breaking down one singular scripture using the Logos software. So one to give them a shout out as well. That is in the show notes. So uh, who hasn't read yet? Browning, if you, you, if you will hit verses 16 through 22, we're going to hit uh, another one of the woes. We're hitting the third woe, blinding os. Got it. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. The whole thing about this one, again, this is the third of the woes. Again, I'm just struck by the aggressive language. And yes, I'm going to keep beating that dead horse as we go through all of these woes because you have to remember who he's talking to. Like these are the elite of the elite. And so in our modern day, we kind of love it when some random no-name journalist or some, you know, jackwagon on Twitter, like, tries to, you know, own a U.S. senator or, you know, the, the White House press secretary and is like, oh, this person got dunked on or Ben Shapiro owns a lib, like, and we're, we're kind of used to these types of things. This was not a common occurrence in that culture. You never spoke with that level of disrespect to these people. And again, he's doing this in a righteous way. Because some people read this and be like, great, I'm going to be a dickhead to everybody. And it's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not the point of this. It's like he had righteous indignation and he dressed them down yeah. and he just keeps it going. And I think as a culture in Christians, conservative circles, at least, I think we've silenced ourselves to passivity a little bit. We've gotten to the point to where how do we, A, stand for what is right? We're unapologetic in what is right. We can be sympathetic to people that don't necessarily agree with us but unapologetic in what we know to be true and communicate that in a way with humility, but also strength in the midst of it. Um, Absolutely. One of the things that I had put on there is they're sacred and holy and eternal are worth far more than the riches of men. And I think it's so easy to fall into that trap of possessions and the worth of our possessions taking all of our time, taking all of our focus, all of our effort, all of our drive and our value goes into what we have versus taking the time to be able to develop personally our relationship with the Lord, to have accountability with other men, to be able to evangelize, you know, to those other things that God has clearly weighted the eternal so much more than the, than the temporary. And I do think he's, he's very harsh, um, but I don't think it's without some level of compassion and call to repentance. I mean, I think if they had just turned around and been like, you're right, you're right. then that would have been very acceptable. He wasn't trying to like drop a bomb on them and leave them just completely destroyed, but he was trying to pierce them to the, to the, to the heart. Well, to a degree it is dropping a bomb, but it's to get rid of the stuff that's worthless. So when I go and speak live places, I make sure that the people booking me know like, Hey, my style is burn it down and walk away. And if that ever strikes them as odd, I'm like, well, do I live in wherever'sville, Tennessee? They're like, well, no, you live in Oklahoma. I'm like, correct. So whenever I come in and speak, I leave, I get in a car, go to the airport, and then I fly home and then I stay there. And so my style is going to be to burn off 
as much of the useless nonsense that's hanging off these dudes or hanging off this ministry or hanging off this church. And then y'all need to have a plan for the ashes. Y'all need to have a plan for what's left because the point is not to blow them completely out. It's to blow off the stuff that's, that's not useful. That's not useful for the body. And so I think that's why he's being so aggressive here. If I were to, you know, impute uh, a particular motive to Jesus here to where it's like, this is what is necessary. And so there are times in our lives where we need to communicate to a child or a coworker or someone that we're, you know, sharing the gospel with or someone that we care for. And we can't just always do it in this very weak and sympathetic way and empathetic way. Sometimes you literally just have to rip these people a new one because again, he's not reading this deadpan. I, I make this right. point all the time. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is not. Is that how you think he said it? Nope. Like guys, literally put yourself there. Is that how you think he said this? Because again, you have to look at how did they respond to what he was saying? Because again, we all know there's the words you use and then there's the tone that you use. Our wives tend to remind us of that. And so that's, that's a very important thing here. Robert, if you'll uh, keep the aggression going and read uh, in the fourth woe, so that's 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So if you're a follower of uh, The Chosen, they depicted this in season four, this exact uh, section here. And the entire point is literally neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And, uh, or I guess neglecting the weightier matters so that you can check off the parts of the law that you're good at. And so I always talk about this, like everyone's got their varsity sin that they don't struggle with. And so it's like, they have no same sex attraction. And so they want to hit that one as hard as possible. Whereas other people, they don't really get it. Um, and in light of an email that I shared with you guys that, you know, uh, today it's like, well, that's not always the best approach. Um, but that, that's an interesting thing here to where it's like, people love to focus on, okay, I'm going to literally take this last little grain of cumin and that's going to be the exact right amount according to the law. But Jesus is like, guys, you're missing the entire point of the law. Like it is about you know, gaining an understanding of God and being closer to him and him giving you, here's what you need to do in order to be righteous. And gosh, they're again, these people, they're just missing the thread constantly. Yeah. yeah it's almost as if there's this scale and it's the, their insignificant sacrifice of their tithe weighted against the gross neglect of justice, law, and faithfulness. I mean, that's just how in the world can you sit there and combine and weigh that the insignificance of the, what are their, their, their seasonings is basically right, where their sacrifices right. are. Yeah. You know, they went without a little bit of salt on their food or something. Yeah. To me, it's still just focusing on themselves. Uh, what makes them look best? What, what drives up their popularity, their power? And then uh, kind of ignoring who their, their followers are and leading them, like we said earlier, leading them straight to hell instead yeah. of to Christ. Yeah. It's yeah. Nor- it and also, Derek, it's ignoring who they're supposed to serve. Right. And so it's like, imagine trying to serve someone and you do it in this way by being a stickler about the things that don't matter. Like in, you know, all, all of us have kind of had this situation. Maybe it was your dad, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was both, or maybe it was something like that to where it's like, they treat everything as a level 10 issue. And if everything's a level 10 issue, then nothing's a level 10 issue. And then the kid or your pupil, they don't understand, uh, they don't understand how to gauge whether they should be focusing on this or that. And so, like, think about a jujitsu context because, you know, Robert and I both have, have coached jujitsu and trained jujitsu. You've done it at a, a much deeper level than I have. 
But if you're teaching a kid about, you know, standing like proper foot placement during standup, the consequences of bad foot placement during the standup process is way different than not fighting the hands when you're getting rear naked choked. Yeah. And so, but if you treat standing up and the placement of your foot compared to your opponent's foot as the same level, like they're going to be, they're going to be nervous from the exact moment they slap and bump because it's like, crap, this is as important as fighting off a choke. And it's just simply not. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, uh, how often do we kind of, you know, become blinded, you know, we come so focused on those areas that we feel like are the highest threat and we kind of neglect so many of the other areas that need to be just as much of an attention that we pay to. So. Absolutely. Let's keep these woes going. Derek, if you will read 25 through 28, please. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, the plate and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I don't want to say it again, but I have to. I have to say it again because I wrote it all over my notes here. Aggressive, aggressive. Everything is so aggressive. This is so meanie mean pants. Why is Jesus being so mean? Why isn't he just telling them, you know, how nice they are and how, how, how they're trying and how they were born this way and how they can't help it. And there's some sort of immutable characteristic that makes this their reality and their truth is their truth. Like, this is not like, we don't get that. Like, how did we go from this to where we are today? It's just, and this is one of the perfect things is because we are constantly talking about people that are pretending to be righteous. They're virtue signaling. They're signaling their own virtue, but it's vapid. It's nonsense. It's not, it has no form and no foundation. And I just, again, we we're sitting here in this current moment in culture and it's like, where did we lose the thread? We lost a long time ago, right. seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, one thing I'll just say is maybe kind of just side note here. When you say, when it says you, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. <clears throat> Some of my favorite teachers uh, or people that I've, I've learned underneath are the ones that are the most vulnerable and the most open about where they've come from and how they've been redeemed through the, the sanctifi- sanctification process. You know, I, I get a little bit weary when I, I hear somebody speak and it's always, it's either a TED talk kind of deal or it's just, it's always, you know, positive and there's nothing like personal, you know, because I think the experience is just an ongoing testimony of, of the gospel and how it has shaped you. Um, so. Anyways, I uh, just saying that, I don't know why that came to mind. Just uh, probably if you know, a listener doesn't know who they sit under uh, and, uh, and are learning from, maybe that's just worth kind of exploring that. Because I just wrote down, you'll know them by their works. Well, if, you have, you're, if you're learning from someone, you don't know who they are, um, you, know, you could be learning from someone that's a whitewashed too. Yeah. Well, and maybe it's because I feel like using a whole bunch of jujitsu examples because there's finally someone here that also trains jujitsu, not looking at anybody else at the table that perhaps doesn't <coughs> train Eric, uh, and Derek, Derek and Eric. Yep. Um, but when it's talking about you are outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Okay. Don't worry. I'm going to tie these things together, but there are certain gyms 
All right. So I think everybody in the audience understands the belt system. And so at the very top, you have kind of master level, which is basically black belt. And there are levels of black belt, but we'll just use that. And below that is brown belt, which is what Robert is. Below that is purple belt, which is what I am. So Robert is better than me at, you know, right. in all parts of life, he ranks higher than me. Uh-huh. And then below that is blue belt. Uh, and then below that is white belt. And so, you know, white belt's beginner all the way up to black, which is, you know, some level of, of master or expert. There are gyms in the world that will give you that next belt, whether you've earned the right to really have that belt or not, whether you've performed in a way that makes you uh, worthy of that belt. Some people have a system like, okay, once you understand all this curriculum, you get your next belt. Or once you've gone here this length of time, you get your next belt. The gym that you and I train at most often, which is the Forge in, in Edmond, Oklahoma, they have a reputation for promoting late. Mm-hmm. So there are guys that are murderers yeah. at Blue Belt. Absolute just killers. Destroy they will go to other gyms and, and destroy brown belts and black belts, and they won't be promoted until it's like the very last moment. And then they'll get promoted to purple belt. But the thing is, is you would rather be the baddest blue belt on the planet than to be the crappiest, least deserving purple belt. Yeah. And so in this moment, there are people that look beautiful and that new dyed piece of cloth, right? And it makes them feel a certain kind of way. And they put that on in a new gym. And everyone's like, oh, man, there's a, there's a brown belt over there. That's basically like a unicorn covered in fairy dust. And then <laughs> then the reality happens whenever you slap bump and you roll and you realize this, this guy's not a brown belt. Well, and so many of them, too, what, what do they do? They just avoid all the hard rounds. Oh, yeah. They just know that they're a paper tiger and know who to avoid. And how often do we do that in life, right? I mean, yep. how many people do the exact same thing? Well, and they're the guy that will stop in the middle of the roll to explain to you what yes. you're doing wrong, <laughs> even because it's like, you're about to beat me. So I'm going to slow you down and turn this into a teaching moment. Right. It's like, look, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. The, you don't have anything to tell me at this yeah. moment. I remember there was a guy, there was a blue belt the other day. Well, you know, we'll, we'll leave the anything nameless, but he was trying to correct my bow and arrow choke which is a choke that I do quite often. And we don't have to get into the technicalities, what that is. If you train, you know what that is. Well, yeah, it's, it's a brutal choke. And so I go, no, man, I'm, I'm good. And he goes, no, no, really, you really should do it this way. So I'm a purple belt. He's a blue belt. That doesn't mean you can't learn from somebody lower than you on the totem pole of jujitsu. But then he and I actually ended up rolling that night. And what do you think I subbed him with? Oh, an arrow choke. Multiple times <laughs> I that too. It was Just funny. to prove. The funny thing about it is I didn't even realize how funny it was until after he tapped to the bow and arrow. And I was like, well, gosh darn it. Wouldn't you know it? Like, I, and I almost thought, and I didn't do it. I, I almost said, hey, did I do it right? Did I do it? Okay. You tapped pretty fast and pretty aggressively. But anyway, we'll, we'll take out the, out the jujitsu commercial here. But I think the overall point is, is there is a level of righteousness that people think that they attain by their outward appearance. We live in one of those communities in Edmond where everyone's got that beautiful house. They've got the perfectly manicured lawn. Their wife gets their nails done every week, hair done every week. The kids seem squeaky clean and perfect at church for the most part. And yet there is a level of depravity in our city that is so hard to fathom because you can hide a lot of depravity from the public with money. Can't hide it from God, but you can hide it with money and new cars and, you know, vacations and all that stuff and selfies and all that crazy stuff. But it's like, man, what's going on on the inside? Yeah. It's a completely different level. Just depravity to the point of having no peace, having immorality in your marriage, not fathering your children. I mean, to the point of just being broken in a shell, but outside, man, do they look good. I mean, they have say all the right things. They have all the right positions, but inside just a, a shallow you know, a shell of the person that they want to be and they know who God is calling them to be. 
Well, guys, we got to preach that over ourselves as well, yeah. because, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we all go to the same church and how much more refreshing is it? Like, cause I remember when this happened, I won't name the person, but you know, you do your typical, like, you know, white person in Oklahoma greeting, which is, Hey, how you doing? And the person was like, man, it's, it's rough right now. And I was like, I was shocked. But then I was like, that's it. Yes. You, you, this was a, a call for help or like a bridge or something like that. In that moment, he decided not to be like, yeah, man, it's great. Blessed day praying for you. Have a great rest of your whatever. It's like, man, I am on the struggle bus. Can you help me? Mm. And it's like, isn't that so much better than I'll just, yeah, I'll see you later. Now you don't always have the time or you maybe don't know that person. Like there's all kinds of circumstances, but you know, part of that is just, you're not being humble enough to just lower yourself and be like, man, I know I got a, you know, six figure job and I've got, you know, a lot of money in my retirement account. And, you know, I'm, you know, I, I took this really nice vacation here recently and I got a lot of followers on, on Instagram or whatever. Dude, things are, I'm struggling yeah. right now. This really, really sucks. But that's what you need in order you to be to have real. You have buddies, right? Yeah, exactly. You got to have that circle of guys you can be transparent with when they ask you. Well, and, that, and that's the beauty of it. Just the more time you spend around one another, looking at each other around a fire or whatever, over drininks, you know, you're going you're gonna to recognize, you'll see the nonverbals yeah. written yeah. plainly and, and you'll be like, hey man, you good? Okay, no, no, no. Whatever you just said, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, Are you good? It. Right. Okay, let's yeah. talk. Well, and yeah. guess what? When you're just an acquaintance with somebody, you're not going to go to that next layer because you may notice something's off with an acquaintance and they're like, no, nah, I mean, I'm fine. And you know that they're not fine. But you don't know them well enough to know that you know that they're not fine. But if it's a foxhole brother that you're known by and you say, yeah, I'm fine. It's like, but you're not. You're yeah. definitely not. And some people have that boldness in their personality. Some people don't. But even like Derek, I'm reminded like with you, sometimes it's a quiet word that's needed in a moment. So you don't need the guy that's going to smack you upside your head and say, stop out of it. We're going to fix it right now. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, Sean Strickland, MMA fighter, uh, former UFC middleweight champion. He was on Theo Vaughn's show. And this guy, if you don't know anything about Sean Strickland's story, he was brutally abused as a child. And he was, he was around all kinds of violence. His father or stepfather would like constantly threaten to kill him and his mom. And, you know, he was like ready to kill his dad at, at all times when he was like seven. Right. So that level of just crazy depravity. Well, he starts talking about it on Theo Vancho and he's real brash, real whatever. And he starts to break down. And so, you know what Theo Vaughn does? It's, it's a beautiful moment. One of, the, one of the best things I've ever seen on the Internet. Beautiful moment. He goes, hey, man, I can just sit here with you for a minute. if That's all right. And that they're recording a podcast. Right. This is going to go out on the interwebs, you like in a few hours after they're done recording. But in that moment, he didn't need Tony Robbins. Like he didn't need a cheerleader. Like he needed just a dude to be like, Hey man, I, I can just sit here with you for a minute. If that's okay. And so just, man, like that's our commercial. Be that guy for somebody else. Yeah. So I talk about like that yeah. 3am friend, like be that guy that can be reliable and that will push past that initial discomfort to make sure your brother's okay. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate my, about, about my uncle Ben is he had this, uh, his MO was if you came to mind, he was reaching out. Uh, if you were Love on his that. mind, he was going to, he was going to text you or call you mm -hmm. one and he was going to check in and just see how you were. That was how he always operated. And when, when we went to his funeral <clears throat> several months ago, uh, repeatedly, everybody that got up echoed the same thing. You know what? Ben would just randomly call me out of the blue and just be like, Hey, what, how's it going? What, what are you up to? You, I just had you on my mind. You know, so for those of you that maybe aren't going to get in somebody's face and, you know, whatever, less, maybe a little less aggressive, that's, a, that's something super practical, super, super easy you could do for your brother. I what love that. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's great. a whisper. I've heard it called before. You can't name the pastor anymore because he's been canceled, but it's like, that's a whisper. 
like when that person that you weren't thinking about, like pops into your mind, you have no idea what's going on. And guys, it's not always going to be a dramatic, like Hallmark movie on the other end of the phone call. Like it's going to be, sometimes it's just, Hey, you're, you're letting a guy know, here's another touch point. Hey, I know you exist and I care about you. So I just reach out to say, howdy. And man, that, that can have a big impact. And I know most people aren't callers, but a text like, Hey man, you're on my mind. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Like that, yeah. that's an awesome thing to do. Yeah. And uh, I love that about you, Kyle. You've done that several times in the last, you know, two, three, four, five months. You're like, Hey, I don't need anything. Just, just reaching out. Just had you on my mind. So, you know, kudos. That's good. Well, that's it's a good great. reminder. Like, Hey, if you did need something, like it's just another touch point. Cause you know how it is. You haven't talked to somebody in like six months and all of a sudden they call you and they need you to help build a fence. It's like, ah, I'd like you, but I hate you now. And so it's, <laughs> it feels that way, but it's like, it's just another touch point. It's another connection point to where you may come to mind that next person, the next time that person runs aground and they need someone to help get them out of the muck. It's like, well, you've had a touch point with them, you know, once every couple of weeks, every few weeks, you know, to where they would feel comfortable. Cause you know, it's the same in the opposite. You haven't talked to this person in six months. You really need help. They're the yeah. person that can help you, but you're like, gosh, I haven't connected with this person. It seems kind of, seems kind of wrong. And all too often, I think that, you know, we get to the boiling point and then we just suppress and we get to that boiling point and suppress. Yeah. And if you have somebody like, like your uncle that does consistently reach out and you're at that boiling point and you're getting ready to cement everything into this like core, um, you know, depression, this core kind of fundamental belief of just, I'm not worth anything. I can't do anything. And you have reached out consistently and they're at that boiling point. It'll give them that opportunity, that cue to be able to reach out. Even if it was two or three weeks before that boiling point comes, they know, you know, Kyle reached out to me consistently. I feel like because he does care, I can then reach back out to him. Right. Well, and there's something to be said, and then we'll get back into the woes here, but there's something to be said for the type of guy that you want to be in response to another guy. And what I mean by that is, is there are guys out there that are the life of the party, man, they're so fun to be around. They've got the best board games growing up. They had the best video games. Like they were, they always know where the best uh, fun's happening. The best parties are going on. They're that guy. So that guy's going to be a groomsman in a lot of weddings, <laughs> but when the chips are down, and you really need somebody to help you, are you going to go to the goofball? No, when you need a laugh, when you need a giggle, you're going to go to the goofball. But be the guy that makes people a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Be the guy that requires a lot of your friends. Be the guy that when everyone else is going to the strip club because, oh, it's, you know, we're in Vegas. And this is just what you do. Or, oh, it's a bachelor party. This is what we do. Be the guy that's just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Because that's the guy that I was. And again, I'm not like patting myself on the back here. I'm just using it as an example. That's one thing in particular that I would never do that when everybody went out to the strip club at the bachelor party, I stayed in the car, stayed at the house until they were done acting like morons because this included married men in every one of these groups as well. And what do you want to bet when one of those guys was falling into some sexual temptation that they didn't know how to deal with? Do you think they reached out to the other guys that were oogling the boobies? You're like with them? No, they certainly weren't. They reached out to me. And now that didn't make me everybody's, everybody's favorite there. Like, oh, Kyle, high and mighty, going to stay home and like sit there until we're all done being depraved sinners. It's like, yeah, that you, <laughs> That's you, exactly you, you pretty was. much That's nailed it. Like, it. I don't need to give you the script. You already read it. And so like that, that's just something good is like, think about the type of guy that you're going to be. But we're going to get back in here. So Derek, if you wouldn't mind hitting verses 29 through 36, uh, this is the seventh woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, rebuild the tombs of the prophets and, de and decorate the monuments of the righteous 
saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, measure the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in the synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, or Zechariah, the son of, oh man, Bar- give it, Barakiah. Give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, that sounded like good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Sounds good. I'm convinced. <laughs> Whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon you this generation. So and when, when you talk about this generation, a lot of people think that's pointing to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Uh, one quick thing, uh, if you haven't heard me mention it before, ep- uh, episode, uh, verses 1 through 36, pretty aggressive. Uh, I don't know if you've heard me say that yet. Aggressive, pretty aggressive, <laughs> default aggressive even. Um, to So to all the Jesus meek and mild people, to all the, you know, I want to be known for what I'm for, not when I'm against people. Uh, I don't ever want people to, um, to, you know, ruffle any feathers. I want you to remind yourselves of what our Savior did in verses 1 through 36 here. Um, the mention of Abel and Zachariah is pretty important here because Abel was the first righteous person murdered. Uh, that we see from the Old Testament, and then you get back to Zechariah, who is the last person, and so that covers the the law and the prophets. You know, it, it covers all those people. But here's the big thing that I want to talk about here. This is what I'm the most excited to talk about in all of Matthew 23. I'm going to go back to verse 30. So, Derek, if you can just read verse 30 again. I know it starts like in the middle of a sentence, but just hit it. Saying, if you had lived in the days of our fathers, you would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So he's he's saying that that's what these people are claiming. I constantly put myself in the place of a 20-year-old in Germany in the 1930s, like a German boy in the 30s. And I, I got to tell you, I can't tell you with certainty that I wouldn't have been part of the Nazi party, that I wouldn't have been an SS person or a brown shirt, that if I had grown up in you know, Soviet, the Soviet Union, that I wouldn't have been part of the crew at the gulags, that I wouldn't have just taking the next step and taking the next order and, well, hey, this is what my boss said to do or, hey, this is what my commanding officer said to do, I would like to believe that I would have been one of the righteous few. And perhaps I would have been, but I always remember that I am just as capable of extreme murderous depravity as anybody else that we read in history and be like, how dare that person act that way? Because these Pharisees in this exact moment were like, oh, we would have not have taken part in any of these unrighteous things. It's like, Do not be too sure about that at all. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, the quote, you know, what's wrong with the world? Answer, I am. You know, a dividing line of sin goes through the middle of all of us. And so, you know, woe to any of us that thinks that we would have not been whatever. Um, Because it could have happened to to any of us um, and still could. I just put the irony. They're condemning themselves. You know, it's like, are you serious? They're sitting there condemning Jesus. At the very moment, you know, that they're saying they would never have persecuted or killed the prophets of old. What do you guys think about that? Because I know it's kind of a morbid thing to think about, but I do think about the book uh, Ordinary Men, where I think it was uh, following this group of like Polish police officers. And they went from being police officers protecting the populace to marching Jewish women in the middle of the woods, stripping them naked, having them, you know, dig their own graves and then shooting them in the back of the head. 
And that wasn't like one day they were, you know, helping an old lady across the street and the next day they were doing something different. It was just a slow, you know, you know, mingling and, and skipping down the merry path to where they got to doing those types of things. And some of them couldn't believe it as they were doing it. I can't believe I'm doing this. And it's just like, again, we hold ourselves above those other people. You know, we look at people that weren't born, you know, anyone that was born in the 20th century or before that as just basically being a Neanderthal. Like, oh yeah, these people, they didn't really understand. They didn't really, it's this chronological snobbery that C.S. Lewis talks about. But again, I don't know if y'all have ever considered that, Derek or, or Robert, like, and have you ever kind of put yourself in like, what would I have done? Would I have been one of the righteous, like growing up in Germany? You know, I, I'm afraid I always put myself in, Derek, go ahead. I'll catch you. No, I was just going to say, I hadn't until that question was asked, maybe on one of your podcasts. And yeah, it's like, I want to say that I would have been on the right side of that, but who's to really say? Without Christ, for sure, I'm on the wrong side. How many That's social right. experiments have there been? You know, where we clearly can see the stupidity and the predictability yeah. of our uh, of our reactions uh, based on the situations they place us in. You know, I think I've always, to my core, like fundamentally as a person, which I think all of you guys are, and maybe this is my other side of the coin for each and every one of us. I have truly, at my core, cringed so hard when the innocent suffer. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think of abortion, you know, I, I think of, you know, tortured children. I think of women that are raped. I think of the most deplorable acts that are out there for the innocent that are begging for their life that are weak and, and they are, uh, they, they have no chance of being able to protect themselves in a situation begging for something. And I think in those moments is when at my core, I shake and I can't imagine myself no matter what odds are against me, no matter what pressure is against me, not rising up to try to protect the innocent inside. And so I think I, I could understand the side of the coin that you guys are on, but I also know each and every one of you individually, and I don't know of any pressure that's out there that could truly put you guys in a position and, and that, would, that would torture an innocent. Or, you know. I, and I think uh, this has to do with, re- you have to reckon with who you are and, um, and, and, and we've talked about before just making these pre-decisions, you know, one of the, I, if you ask me what my, what my life verse is or what my mantra, I, I just love, I love the verse to live as Christ and to die is gain. Like how simple of a mantra there, simple of a verse that if I truly understand the promises of God and who I am in Christ and my decision that I've made, um, to, for him to come live in my heart and for the Holy Spirit to guide me and all of that, then if brought to that point where somebody was like, you do this right now or else you die, then I could, I could just say, I could say, look, I've, I've dealt with that and I put it to rest to live as Christ and to die as gain. I will not torture. I will not do this. Take me. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. One, I think you, you talked about social experiments earlier, a little bit earlier, Eric, and we've all seen the kind of the candid camera videos of people being put in that weird spot. So I'm trying to think, I can't remember the name of the show. It doesn't matter, but like they set it up to where there's like a obviously preteen girl sitting in a restaurant by herself. And then a guy comes up pretending like he knows her, like, and they're both actors, right? The little girl's an actor. And then the man walking up is an actor. But you know, the whole point is the guy's trying to get the girl to leave. Guy doesn't know the girl. Girl doesn't know the guy, potential trafficking situation Mm -hmm. just to see what people will do. 
And that's one of the scenarios, but there's all kinds of one. There was like a, a black barber shop where this uh, guy's getting his haircut and a white woman comes in and the black barber is like uh, giving the white woman crap. Like you're ruining our community. Like, you know, how dare you, you know, ruin the bloodline, that kind of thing, just to see what people would say. And every time there's always the people that stand up for justice and they just can't help themselves. And then there's other people that, because they always interview the people after the, you know, the gig is up or whatever. And there are those people that are just like, I froze. I didn't know what to do. And man, I let that little girl walk out and man, if this was a real situation, like, I don't know that I would have even noticed. Like, and then there's those other people that, that they have to like, you know, tap on their shoulder while they're looking at their iPad or whatever and say, Hey, did you notice uh, that there was a little kid that was screaming just a second ago that they were being yanked out of the restaurant and they, they didn't know who they were going with. Did you notice? Oh my gosh, did that happen? And then they show them the video and then it's just like, we're all just completely aloof. So Robert, to your point, it's like, I know all of us too, but I also know my own sinful heart and my own sinful depravity. And it's like, again, we sometimes will educate ourselves beyond our wisdom quite a bit because education and intellect is not a gift. Uh, wisdom is. And there are times where we could wrap ourselves into these philosophical knots and say, actually, what I'm doing right now is righteous because I'm, you know, honoring what my boss told me to do. And that's a good righteous thing. So I just think it's a good thing for everybody to just remember, like, don't always hover above the people that you're reading in the Bible or reading in historical accounts of what's going on, put yourself in their shoes. And I don't know that you would always make the same decision. Uh, we need to wrap up here. So Robert, if you could take us through the end here, go uh, 37 through 39, wrap up Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, I will not see me, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that basically wraps up Jesus's public teaching ministry. So his teaching ministry is now over. We're getting closer and closer to the cross. A couple of things is, you know, a lot of Muslims will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Verse 37, that is Jesus explicitly claiming to be God by, you know, comparing himself to the way that God is is described. Uh, morons will use verse 38 to be like, you see, God could be a woman because it's, you know, described as a hen, or I guess that would be uh, 37. 37. Mm-hmm. And so like being described as a hen or something like that, which are obviously ridiculous points of view. But as you look back from the beginning of Matthew all the way through right now, everything has been setting you up to get into these last few chapters of Matthew as we work our way towards Golgotha. But we're going to have to leave it there for now. But guys, come back here next week where we're going to dig into Matthew 24. So make make sure you're read all the way up through Matthew 24. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Again, we support Logos Bible Software. You can check that out here. The link is in the show notes, but also we have a link to our donation page. If you're wondering how we put out content like we do and how we can do it so prolific, it's because we have donors. That is how we are supported. That's how we're able to do the work that we do. So if you want to be part of that, make sure you hop on board. The link is in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, 
keep seeking the Lion of Judah. 